0: You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Friends, it's so good to be with you this morning. I, too, now live on an island, but it's dark and cold. But I feel like I've done my English friends proud by getting sunburnt on my first day here. So I'm still recovering from that. Um, As Ryan mentioned, it's just a privilege to be a part of a family of churches. Um, It's a privilege for my family and I to take some time away after several years of moving to London, starting the church. The church will be about three years old next month. And uh, this month, we've been afforded the opportunity as a family to go back to California to visit uh, my mother, my wife's side of the family, and spend 10 days with you wonderful people. Looking at this yellow orb in the sky called the sun, I'm like, what is this? In fact, fun story, a year after our our plant in London, um, there was a Honolulu prayer tour. And we advertised it to our people in London to pray. But to kind of soften the blow of how beautiful this place is, we had to use all of our graphics in black and white because otherwise everyone would have gotten really sad in the autumn because it was very dark. So anyway, enough about that. I'm privileged to be here. I'm excited to get into God's Word. And I understand that you've been in a season of looking at the book of Exodus, which in many ways is a book about both teaching and testing. Things that you have to learn from the law of God, but also lessons you have to learn in the day-in, day-out aspect of life. We see that in the life of the nation of Israel in that book. You've also, I understand, been going through Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, an incredible book on prayer. And I'd love to bring those two together, the the times of testing and the practice of prayer together together. And we find that in the book of James, the New Testament book of James. If you have a Bible, would you turn with me there to the book of James chapter 4. This is a letter written to the first century church, a group of Jewish Christians in that early church who were themselves going through times of testing and also learning about the powerful practice of prayer. And in particular, I want to look at a passage that is very ordinary. A passage that captures the day in, day out aspect of life. And here's why, and we'll read the text and pray. Having started and pastored a church, well two now, I've noticed that there are particular seasons in the life of a community where prayer can become really exciting. God is on the move. Prayers are being answered in marvelous and even miraculous ways. And we thank God for those seasons. I've had the privilege of witnessing those seasons. But there are also lessons to be learned when the season is not quite as obvious and exciting. Times in which you will be tested to use the practice of prayer in the ordinary and the mundane day-in, day-out aspect of life. And I think the book of James captures this, and I want us to take this to heart. So turn to James chapter 4, and I'll read a few brief verses, verses 13 to 17. Let me read this paragraph and lead us once more in prayer and invite the Spirit of God to teach us today. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live And do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone, then, knows the good they ought to do and does not do it, it is sin for them. This is God's word. Let's pray together once more. Heavenly Father, We ask together that you would transform the way that we view our lives, the way that we make plans for our future, the way that we make use of prayer. I pray that you would protect all of us from being prideful, from being presumptuous, And that you would teach us to become dependent people. I pray for anyone here in this room who does not yet know you, or who have perhaps drifted from you. I pray that you would speak to us all and draw us near to you in humble yet powerful dependence, and that we would leave this place encouraged. That we would leave this place with confidence in our hearts. Knowing that we have a God who cares. We have a God who provides. We have a God who holds the very future in his hand. Teach us, we ask, by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. amen. If there was one word that comes to my mind to summarize the mood of our cultural moment in the Western world, I suppose it would be the word uncertainty. Uncertain about the political future, uncertain about the economic future, and no matter how settled you feel that your life is at the moment, there's still, more broadly speaking, a mood of uncertainty. It struck me as I was reading a, an article in the Huffington Post about this very thing, and notice this, this quote the author says. Stuart Jeffries said, It's a world where every choice feels like a gamble. Every decision relies on making a prediction about an unpredictable future. To make a plan for a life in such circumstances feels like a fool's wager. Which is very interesting to me because have you ever noticed that you get a very different message from the advertisements you see every day and the news that you read? Have you noticed that? In the advertisement, you get messages like, especially the Nike ad, like, you can do anything. You are limitless. Like, you have the power. Nothing can stop you. And then you watch the news and the news is like, you're all going to die. So I've, I find this conflicting message from culture as we've even spent the last you know, week here. I notice the advertisements, you can do anything, and you go on the news. It's like the world is all going to shift into the tectonic plates, and we're all going to die. Very interesting. I can't help but to notice the contradiction between the headlines we read and all the slogans in the advertisement. And I find that many of us are caught in between that. I want to have control over my life. And yet I also realize that we're living in a very unpredictable world. How then do I move forward? How can I live in such a world? Well, the good news, friends, is that the Bible's perspective on the future is completely and utterly different than anything else you will find in this world. For the person who follows Jesus, here's the difference, to just put it in a phrase. You are neither the captain of your own destiny nor a captive to your circumstance, you are under the care of God Almighty. I suppose some of us swing back and forth between those extremes. On the one hand, those of you who want to be the captains of your own destiny, you think you've got your retirement and your life and your work and your family, it's all planned out. You know how it's gonna go. 2020 is gonna be the same because you've planned it. On the other hand, some of you may feel as if you are a captive to your circumstance. The marriage didn't work out the way that you thought. You lost the job that you got thinking you were going to hold on to it forever. The money hasn't come in in the way that you expected it to. And you find yourself feeling as if you are a slave to your circumstance. The Bible says neither are true. You are under the care of God. So what does that mean? How should this reality shape the way that you and I move forward, plan our future? And I want you to think about this, not only as individuals, but also as a church, if you call this church home. Some of you are on the ambitious side. You've got schemes and dreams and plans and you think about your career quite often. But on the other hand, I suppose many of us are just thinking about security and stability. I just want my family to be good. I want everything to be fine. I want to know that my mortgage is being taken care of. I want to know that my family vacations are all going to be planned out. We're all submitted to one thing or another. Some of us worship success. Others of us worship security. But we are called to serve Jesus Christ. So James was an apostle in the early church 2,000 years ago, has written a very practical letter to these first century Jewish Christians who needed both encouragement and correction. And friends, I think we need both this morning. Some of us, we need encouragement because we feel discouraged. But on the other hand, we also need some correction. Well, the book of James will give you both. If you've never read the book of James, I highly recommend that you do so. It will feel like a smack in the face and a hug at the same time. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. These men and women were living with the wrong perspective, especially in relation to how they made their plans. So what is the right perspective? What's the perspective that you need to have and I need to have as we move forward with friends, family, and a community? I just wanna say three things to you this morning. And the first is this. A right perspective begins here. Accept your limitation. Part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ is to accept your limitation. Look again at verses 13 and 14. I love the drama of James. Now listen, those who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Now, if you're like me, this is a hard lesson to receive. And one of the reasons for that is because especially in the United States of America, we are told that we can do anything, be anything, and have anything. Add to that, our digitally connected society gives us the impression that we can be in different places all at the same time, doing different things with different people. It's the illusion of being limitless. In fact, this is so ingrained in our way of thinking that I remember years ago, I preached a sermon on limits. And I was talking about how limits are a good thing, and God gives you limits in your life. And I'll never forget this. One guy comes up to me after church service, and he's like, oh, pastor, that was such a great sermon. And I was like, oh, praise the Lord, you know. And he's like, oh, I just needed to know that we're limitless today. And I was like, yeah, no, that I literally said the exact opposite thing. And he just couldn't understand that. He's like, no, I just bought my pair of, you know, Adidas shoes. Like, I'm limitless. I'm like, yeah, that's not really the point of the sermon. And many of us think that, and people thought this back then, but along comes James, and with a bit of fire and, might I suggest, sarcasm, he says, come on now, or a Greek translation be idiots, my translation, of course. He's like, come on, listen, you are not in control of your life. That's the big idea that James is communicating to us, but don't mistake him. James is not against planning. James is against pride. He's not against you and I making plans for, hey, what are we going to do come September? What school should we put our kids into? Where are we going to spend Christmas? He's not against planning. James is preaching against presumption. And so here's how he teaches it. He lays out a portrait for us of a self-confident planner the person who thinks they have it all in control in verse 13. And here's how they framed their plans. We're going to go to this city, we're going to buy this house, I'm going to make this amount of money, and we're going to have 2.5 kids. Like, I have it all planned out. On their own ability, the self-confident planner is pretty sure of what they're going to do, where they're going to go, and what the outcome will be. It's as if our own determination and our own ability and our own smart planning is the only factor that matters. Now, some of you in this room, you're like super type A. Like you have your planner right now. In fact, during the sermon, you're like, this is how Monday's going to go. And you're like writing it all out. Some of you are super planners. The rest of you, planning is more of a concept, just like time. Like church starts at 10, you're like, whatever, what is 10? Nobody really knows what 10 is. Some of you are like, oh, what time is it even now? James is painting for us a portrait that teaches a self-confident planner. These people, like us, they were establishing plans on the basis of their own ability. And please, don't, don't misunderstand James. He's not only writing to the ambitious business person. Some of you might say, well, I I don't want that. But you are ambitious, just in a different way. Some of you are like, I want to live in this home for the rest of my life. That, too, is an ambition. That, too, is a plan. You're like, I want to live on this part of the island for the rest of my life. That, too, is a plan. That, too, is an ambition. And James is teaching everyone, hang on, you need to receive and accept your limits. These people were making plans like we often do without any reference to the most obvious and basic limitations that can be known even by common sense. And so he exposes this attitude of pretension by pointing out these truths. Life is uncertain, life is fragile, and life is short. Does that make you feel good? Happy Sunday. (laughs) You're like, oh, I thought I was going to church to feel uplifted, but now I just feel sad. (laughs) But those things are true. He's like, life is uncertain. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You assume it's going to be warm tomorrow. You entitled people. I'm just kidding. <laughs> life is uncertain. Life is fragile and life is short. That's what is meant by our life is a vapor. It's like a little cloud. It's here one moment and it is gone the next. But the truth is, friends, you do not know what will happen tomorrow. Your life is a mist. You don't know you don't know how work's going to go tomorrow. You don't know how things are going to pan out with your family and the conflict that you're facing. You don't know how October, November, and December are going to go. I'll never forget reading a brief history of Alexander the Great, who we know ruled much of the known world at his time before the time of Christ. And what struck me was when I read about his funeral plans, right? Like that's Slightly dramatic and egocentric that you've already made your funeral plans like way in advance. But he's Alexander the Great, so I guess we'll give it to him. But he said, I have very specific instructions for what to do at my funeral. I want the best doctors to carry my coffin. I want my gold and jewels strewn across the pathway leading to the cemetery. And I want one of my hands hanging out of the coffin. you're like, oh, that's weird. Like, why would, it's so dramatic. Why would you do that? And he said, here's why. Because I want everybody to know that the best physician on this earth can never save you from death. All the money that you gain in this life will stay in this world. And you will leave this world just like you came into it, with nothing in your hands. This is essentially what James is teaching. But here's why it's important, friends, for you and I to know this. These truths humble us and these truths help us. So for those of you struggling to find out why is it good for us to hear this, Hear me out. First of all, these truths humble us. We need to be honest about how little we actually know. And this changes your daily character and the way that you make choices. I found it interesting. I went um, to rent a car from the airport, which turns out is a nightmare. And there was like 800 people, only a mild exaggeration. There was like hundreds of people waiting outside the line. And everyone in the line is like, I have somewhere to be. And somebody else is like, yeah, like you're the only one. There's this idea in our own minds that like our schedule is the most important. Our lives are the most important. But where does that come from? It comes from a sense of pride. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not taking the moral high ground here. I strongly dislike it when things do not go my way. Just ask my wife. But scripture tells me that I am not in control. And here's what I've learned. Few things will reveal the state of your heart, like the disruption of your plans. Maybe your plan was just to have a chill week. And then that friend or that family member causes some drama and you're like, oh, they just ruined the whole week. Why are we so upset? Because we had a plan. Even if the plan was to do nothing, that was still a plan. Some of you are like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) Even if you just want to sit on the sofa for the week, that's a plan. And along comes somebody saying, hey, you have a responsibility to do this, or you've got a problem to solve over here. It all reminds us that we are not in control, and there are few things that will reveal my heart, like the disruption of my plans. These truths, friends, we need to hear it because they humble us, but in addition, listen, these truths actually help us. Have you ever thought that it is a good thing that you don't know the future? Have you ever thought that? It might actually be a good thing if you didn't know the future. And here's why. Future security would make you arrogant and future suffering would make you despondent. If you knew that next year, everything was going to be perfectly fine, nothing was going to go wrong, you're going to make the same amount of money, if not more, you're not going to lose your job, you're not going to lose your house, no sickness, no illness, if you knew 2020 was just going to be nothing but good stuff, you would be unbearable to be around. You'd be like, hey, it's all good. It really is all good. I know it's going to be good because 2020 is my year. Like, you would be walking around as an insufferable person because you were so arrogant, you would be tempted To be smug and arrogant. And maybe, just maybe, you'd even be angry about the present. You're like, oh, I know 2020 is going to be good, but the rest of 2019 is not that good. Future security might make you arrogant, but future suffering would make you despondent. If you knew that 2020 was full of very particular hardships, some of us, we would just cave in. We would just give up right now. We would just say, you know what, I'm done. But here are some words of comfort. For those of you who err on the side of being a little more cynical, where you're like, yep, bad things are going to happen to me, for sure I'm going to get eight illnesses next year. Like, I just know it. There are a few of you in the room. I just want to encourage you, you don't know. For those of you who have come to church this morning thinking that, like, everything's just going to be bad for the rest of the week and the rest of the year, like, that won't happen. Just had a job interview, probably won't get it. You know what? You don't know. And that might actually be a good thing. And here the words of James are very close to the words of Jesus. In the parable, Jesus illustrates a story about a rich man who made definite plans for his future. And yet his plans were disrupted by death. And here's how the parable ends. Luke chapter 12, verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, this night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Friends, I urge you, accept your limitations. Will we allow the truth that we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow? Will we allow that truth to humble us? And will we allow that truth to actually help us? Knowing that your life is short makes things incredibly clear. You begin to think, you know what? This is what really matters. I've noticed, and I'm sure you have as well, when you've been at funerals, many of the things that people are proud of in this life, the things that you put on your your resume, like I started this company, I won this contest, you know, whatever, usually those aren't the things that are mentioned in a eulogy at a funeral, but rather it's they were kind. They were loving. They cared about other people. See, many of us are living for like this bucket list of things we wanna tick off. Like, I just wanna do these things, I wanna accomplish these things, or I just wanna stay in this one place. But the truth is, God uses these truths to shape you. And part of that happens through accepting your limitations. But of course, there's more. It's not just enough for you to go to church today and hear, okay, we got to accept our limitations. When it comes to thinking about your future, secondly, you need to receive God's invitation. Look at verse 15. It's not all a correction. He says, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will. So in verse 14, he raises the question, what is your life? And here, he answers it. We do not live in a closed universe. There is a God, and your life is from him. Your life comes from God. He is the creator and sustainer of your life. Do you know that? Is that settled in your heart? That you have a God that created you and cares for you and cares more about the future than you do and has more wisdom than you do and has more resources and power than you do. Is that settled in your heart? See, the way life works is that you have a vision for what's most important, and then you plan around it. Let's say for you, it's family. Family's most important, then you make a plan around this. And as you plan, some of you will get advice that says, leave God out of the center, or God is just a supporting role in the larger story of you. But that's not the way the Bible presents it. And what happens is many of us, even in the church, we live like that and we slowly push God aside. This is nothing new. James addresses this. And if our life is from him, then what follows is your life is for him. Now at first glance, the advice of James seems somewhat generic, if God wills. Some scholars even suggest that James is simply repeating A popular phrase that philosophers would use back in the first century world. Like, oh, if God wants it to happen. But there's one word that changes everything. And that is the title that you've been learning about in the book of Exodus. That is the title known as the Lord. If the Lord wills. The God who has revealed himself in the Bible. Not some generic, vague, spiritual abstract thing in the sky, the God who has revealed himself in history. And here's the point. If our lives are dependent on God, so should our plans be. I want you to think about that in terms of your your own plans. I also want you to think about that in terms of this church. You guys are, you know, two years old now and no doubt at this point, some of you have thoughts and ideas about how things are gonna go. And that's not bad. That's a good thing. But never forget that this is all about being dependent on God. That's why we read books on prayer. That's why we we learn and relearn the most important lesson that our lives come from him and our lives are for him. Let me give you a few examples of how this phrase is used throughout the New Testament. In the book of Acts, which tells the earliest story of the Christian church, notice the Apostle Paul's attitude to tomorrow. When they asked Paul to spend more time with him, he declined, but as he left, he promised, "I will come back if it is the Lord's will." And then he sailed from Ephesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 19, Paul writes, "But I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing." Romans chapter 1 verse 10 and chapter 15 verse 24, in my prayers at all times I pray that now at last by God's will the way may be open for me to come to you. I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through that you will assist me on my journey there. Here's what I want you to see. Paul made some plans. Paul longed to see the men and women in Rome. He hoped to spend time with them on his way to Spain. No big deal. But here's the twist in the tale. When you read the rest of the New Testament, you know what actually happened with Paul. If you read the book of Acts, we learn that Paul never made it to Spain. And while he did make it to Rome, it was not as a visitor, it was as a prisoner. His plans changed. And yet, he faced all these changes with joy and with courage. Why? What's the secret? What is it that you and I need to know when things don't work out tomorrow? In the way that we thought, with our friends, with our family, with with our jobs, with the church. What is it that we need to know? Here's the deal. Paul's confidence was not in his plan. Paul's confidence was in his God. That's why he said, if the Lord's will, he knew and trusted that Jesus was in charge. He knew and trusted that Jesus would work even the bad things for good. Paul modeled what James is teaching us here accept your limitation, receive God's invitation, and lastly, always write your plans in pencil. If I've learned anything, this is what I've learned. Always write your plans in pencil. Some of you, you're permanent marker people. You're like, oh, this is what's going to happen. I used a Sharpie, and I I printed out the PDF, and I gave it to God. God, this is how things are going to go. But here's what James teaches us. you got to submit your plans in pencil. That's what he's saying there in verse 16 and 17. He says, As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. And all of this begins with that simple praise, if it is the Lord's will. So here's the test. Just like the children of Israel had to be tested in their own way, in what manner do you and I relate to God and to your own plans, your desires for security, your desires for stability? Or for some of you, your desire for success. Or to put it this way, how do you give God your plans? See, I find that this is a perfect metaphor because often in my prayer life, I'm like, oh, Lord, here's my perfectly curated plan. I think it's really good, and it would just be great if you, like, notice the footnotes and the details in there. It would just be really good if you followed everything according to, like, what I thought, you know, is best. As if God's like, oh, not bad. Like, maybe I will. This is a great plan. I'm going to delete my plan that I had for your life, and I'm going to go with your plan because it's so clearly good. I'm like, I know. But, oh, it's all just your grace. I mean, again, James is not saying don't make plans, but he is condemning self-importance and self-determination, and that's why in verse 16 and 17 he gives a rebuke. He gives that rebuke. You boast in your arrogant schemes, he says, when you do not acknowledge God in your plans. This is absolutely clear, and thus we are without excuse. To fail to do this is a sin. That's what sin is. Sin is the anti-God state of mind. Sin is putting myself in God's place, putting myself in his throne. James is saying God wants his throne back. It's essentially what he's saying here. Pretentiousness will always lead to prayerlessness. But instead, God calls us to dependence upon him. To ignore this, friends, is not just wrong. It's actually evil. So am I living in such a way that I recognize God's authority? Are you living in such a way that that you're seeking his will? This should be the posture of your heart. And if this is our desire, how does that work out? How do we make our plans in pencil? Well, three simple ways. First of all, we need to be guided by God's word. That's why you gather here on Sundays and we open the Bible and we learn because the Bible is our authority in all matters of life and death. Our plans are to be directed and guided by the word of God. If we want to know what God's will is for our lives, we first and foremost go to Scripture I mean, look at what Scripture already says about the stated will of God for your life. How's this one in 1 Thessalonians 5? This is the will of God for you that you always give thanks. I'm like, oh, I seem to have missed that. (laughs) Because that's usually the the last thing on my mind. And yet, this is the will of God for me. When the Bible tells you to, to do something, we do it. We follow it. And yet I find so often in the church, we're like, yeah, but I kind of want to know something more specific, like which address am I supposed to move to? We often elevate those types of things above our own character. I mean, how many of us, be honest with yourself, don't raise your hand or anything like that because it would be awkward. If God said today, he's not going to make this deal, but let's say God shows up today and he says, I'm going to give you two options, like deal or no deal, right? On the one hand, I'm going to tell you every detail about how life is going to go next year. How much money you're going to make, the fact that you're going to stay in your home, your apartment, whatever, the new car you're going to get. There's those details. On the other hand, I'm going to shape your character. Which one do you want? Many of us would be like, "Eh, I'll take the plan for next year. (laughs) Because character, that sounds boring, right? (laughs) Character. (laughs) I just want to know what's going to happen. And yet God flips all of that on its head. He says, more than about the stuff you're going to get is the person you're going to become. And so God draws your attention to seek him ultimately in his word. Open the Bible and say, God, help me to know what to do and what not to do. For me, that means first and foremost, I'm a disciple. I'm also a husband. I'm also a father. I'm also a pastor. And I need to pay attention to where scripture addresses these aspects of my life and live according to it and plan according to it. See, when it comes to the will of God, many of us are simply concerned with where we're going to end up rather than who we're going to become. We're guided by God's word. We're also guided by God's spirit. The Holy Spirit enables us and empowers us to live out the word of God. See, without God's word, we are directionless. But without God's spirit, we are powerless. But both with God's word and God's spirit, we have direction and we have power. The Holy Spirit supernaturally enables us to live out everything that God calls us to do. So as a church and as individuals, we ask the Holy Spirit to guide us. You as a church, when you show up to the pre-service prayer like Pastor Ryan Hilter just guilted you into to show up at 9.30... What are you doing? You're asking for the Holy Spirit to move. Holy Spirit, guide me. Holy Spirit, lead me. How can I apply what I know to be true to my situation? And thirdly, we're guided by God's people. Though unlike the authority of Scripture, the counsel and confirmation of other Christians is key nonetheless. We do this together. The wise person, if you're a wise person, you know this. The sin most likely to destroy your life is the sin that you are least likely to see. The sin that you are least likely to notice is the sin that is most likely to destroy your life. And that's why we need other people in our lives saying, hey, I think your perspective might be a little off here. We need each other in community and we seek to apply God's word and seek God's spirit together. And as we make all of our plans, whatever it is that you're doing as a community, as a family, as an individual, you say over them all, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills, I love how James says it, if the Lord wills, we will live. Did you notice that? He's saying, if the Lord wills, you'll be alive tomorrow. Oh, that's mildly sobering. (laughs) If the Lord wills, we will do this, that, and the other. I learned recently that the Methodists, who I believe made their way to these islands over 150 years ago, the Methodists had a regular practice that we would do well to learn from. Over 100 years ago, they used to write all their letters which concluded their plans and their thoughts and their dreams for the future. And at the very end of every letter, as their signature, they would write a Latin phrase, Deo valente, if the Lord wills. If you're looking for a great email signature, you're welcome. You're like, Deo valente. And it's like, ooh, that's exotic. What does it mean? Well, it's Latin. (laughs) If the Lord wills. Every email, if the Lord wills. Every plan, if the Lord wills. It was like the postscript that should be written over all of our plans. If the Lord wills, my child will get into this school. If the Lord wills, our church will move in this direction. If the Lord wills, God will provide what it is that he needs. If it is the Lord's will for us to go in this particular direction. Now listen, if the Lord wills is not some kind of magic formula that if you tag it on to the end of the prayer, you're automatically going to get it. You're like, God, I want a Land Rover, if the Lord wills. And he's like, oh, you said it. Okay, so boom, there it is. Like, you get it. It's not a magic formula at all. It's a posture of the heart. God, if it is your will that you want this for us, then I'm surrendering it to you. Saying this phrase, if the Lord wills, assumes a life dependent upon God. See, here's what I've learned. One of the biggest lessons about walking by faith Is it's not a one-time box that you check off. See, now that I'm 40, I just turned 40 this year, so I'm like in a whole different world. My wife and I had this tendency to think like, we walked by faith when we started a church in Los Angeles in 2006. We walked by faith. We did that already. That was like our younger years. Now we just want security and stability. And the Bible's like, you never stop walking by faith. See many of us we we think that there was a certain season in our life that required you know walking by faith and now we've moved on from that friends you never move on you never graduate from the school walking by faith it is a continual act of surrender my life is not my own it doesn't belong to me if the lord wills we will move here and thus so i ask you today how have you been making your plans how are you thinking about tomorrow How are you thinking about the future? And are you willing to bring everything that you've written down, your hopes, your dreams, your fears, to Scripture? Are you willing to have your plans changed? Are you willing for God to hit the delete button on the script that you've written for yourself? Are you willing to change your plans? See, the way in which we do this is we get ready to go into a time of prayer and to worship is by following the very model that James himself would have seen day in, day out, and that is the model of Jesus. And what do we see when we see the prayer life of Jesus? We see Jesus doing two things. He expresses his desire, and he surrenders his desire. He expresses it, and he surrenders it, and friends, we need both. In prayer, we express our desires. Prayer is not about ignoring your needs, It's about expressing them. It is only right for children to ask their parents for things. It is only right for you to express your desires. God, I don't know why I'm in this situation of testing. God, in my own mind, this is what I think is right. This is what I think might be good, and I'm expressing that to you. It is only good and right for us to do that. But we also must surrender our desires. Say, nevertheless, God, your will be done. Because here's what happens. If you don't learn to express your heart to your heavenly father, you're gonna become cold and religious as a church. You're like, we just ignore our emotions. But if you don't learn to surrender your desires, you're gonna become arrogant and presumptuous. Because here's the truth. God does not always give us what we ask for. God gives us what we would have asked for If we knew everything that he already knows. Isn't that an incredible truth? He does not always give you what you want. He gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything that he did. If you knew the beginning from the end. And we see this pattern in Jesus hours before he went to the cross. He fell down on his knees. And he said, Father, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me speaking of the pain and horror of the cross, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And as Jesus did that, he lived perfectly on our behalf and he died on our behalf when he went to the cross. So how do I know that my life is in safe hands? How can you know that your life is in safe hands? Because Jesus laid down his life for you. Jesus died for you when you were not looking for him. You can trust that his will is good. Our plans can change because our God will never change. So my certainty is not in what I think is going to happen tomorrow. My certainty is in the goodness of God. And where do I see the goodness of God? In the cross of Jesus Christ and in the empty tomb. And I remember that my life is short. Tomorrow is not promised to you or to me. So let's confess our sin to Jesus, receive his forgiveness with open arms and a smile on his face. Knowing that though tomorrow is not promised to us, his goodness is. And you can rest on that. Amen? Father, we pray right now that you would grant to us humble hearts that are willing to receive the limits that you've allowed into our lives, the the limited vision that we have of tomorrow. Things may not work out how we thought. We may not stay in the same place like we had hoped, but nevertheless, you never change and you are good. And I pray right now that during this time of response and song and prayer and communion that we would once again trust in your goodness. That we would once again return to you and say, God, I don't know how things are going to turn out, but I know that you are good. And I know that you love me because I see what you did for me in the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would be willing to give you all of our plans in pencil. Say to you this morning, God, if you want to erase, erase. If you want to add, go ahead and add. If you want to highlight and underline, you do just that because you are God and I am not. I pray this morning that these truths would help us and humble us. I pray if there's anyone here this morning who's discouraged and they just feel as though their script, they already know their script. It's just all gonna be bad. I pray that they would turn away from their own thinking and turn to you and be reminded that you are in control. Father, I pray for those who do not yet know you. And for whatever reason they found themselves in this church this morning, I pray that they would not go another moment before crying out to you from their heart, Jesus, save me. I confess that I'm not God. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. All my thoughts about the future are fragile. And I recognize that you are God. And I recognize that you are good. And I put my faith in you to save me today. May they do that even in this moment and discover for the first time what it means to be in relationship with you. And for us all, Father, I pray that we would take off the mask. I pray that we would not play church this morning, that we would come, get on our knees and just present all of our hopes, all of our fears, all of our desires, all of our plans to you and say, God, you are good. I surrender to you. I surrender all to you. And may it not just be words. May it be the posture of our heart. Friends, I just invite you as we're in an attitude of prayer. I invite you during this time that we have in our service. I invite you to do what James is calling us to do and pray. In a moment, there will be men and women available at the back of this room wearing the prayer team lanyards. I invite you to push your way past the people and the rows. And go and ask them for prayer. Say, I need encouragement. I need direction. I need guidance. I need wisdom. I need healing for the bitterness and cynicism because of the way that things have gone. They haven't turned out like I thought. Go and ask for healing today. And watch what a good God will do. I invite you. I urge you to go to these men and women and to pray. There is also communion available up here at the front to my left and to my right. And as you come up, friend, for any of you who believed on the gospel of Jesus Christ, come forward and take the bread, dip it in the cup, and remember that Jesus Christ sacrificed himself so that you could have a beautiful and glorious future eternally with him, no matter how hard it gets in this life. You have the privilege of knowing how the story ends. So come up and celebrate communion as you confess your sin and rejoice in his good plan for you. And may we all respond in song and in worship. You can come down to the carpets in the front and we kneel before our God and say, God, you are good. And I trust you with my life. Let's do that now. Let's surrender to our good God. Let's surrender to our loving God. And watch what he will do. Let's do that now.